I've spent my life wanting to die. And now I can't get enough of life. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Our team is growing, but we're not out there on the streets recruiting. It's growing organically. What happens is people come to our workshops, we get them sober, and then they want to stick around and help other people to get sober. Jane Rivera is one of those people. She came to an early workshop and now she's in her third year of sobriety. She's been facilitating workshops with me in Cape Town for the last couple of years. So thank you, Jane. I so appreciate your help. Now, in this episode, Jane's going to talk to me about how and why she ditched the drink. Thank you for coming in to chat to me, Jane. You're so welcome. First of all, just tell me a bit about yourself. I'm now 51 years old and married to Dominic. And I have two children, James, who's 17, and Isabella, who is 11. Okay, great. Um, so let, let's go back now over the years. And um, I, I remember you telling me that um, your, your parents uh, bought a pub when you were about 10 years old. Yeah. So shall we start there? Let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think... Um, Generally, my life has been marked by uh, big changes, big moves. And uh, if I go right back to that time, um, I remember a very happy, fun childhood. I remember um, being very close to my father in particular. Uh, I remember birthday parties and he was a very, very hands-on parent. Um, he was an interesting character. He still is. He's very much alive today. And he, he was quite a mischievous man and always into something new and very exciting. Um, and one of these new ideas of his was to take over our local village pub which was called the Sycamore Tree Inn, and this was in Wales. And uh, I think that's where everything at the age of 10 changed almost overnight. So what changed? Um, we moved in. It was all quite exciting um, to start with. Um, but I quickly realised that um, it wasn't the the exciting family move. It was a great move for my parents in terms of a different career choice. And they were suddenly shackled to the bar from early morning until 11 at night. 
and um, and I battled to cope with that separation. I suddenly felt that I'd lost my parents. Did you have siblings? I have a sister, Penny. Mm -hmm. um, we've never spoken how she coped with it, um, but I think we are quite different. Is um, she older or younger? She is younger. She was always the more sensible and <laughs> uh, seemed to be older. Um, so she, she was, she was the, the non-rebel. I was the rebel, she was the non-rebel. So I think she took more after my mom, I took more after my father. And uh, she seemed to maintain throughout the, the period at the pub. <laughs> so as a rebellious t teenager, um, did you find yourself tasting alcohol in this pub? I did. Well, actually, it goes back even, um, even further. Um, I remember my parents had a, a house with a cellar. We had our own pub downstairs. And... <laughs> My sister and I were often given uh, shot, well, not shot glasses in those days, sherry glasses of wine. Um, so experimenting um, had started then already. And then fast forward again to the pub days. Um, I used to get a pound a week to clean up the pub and stock the, the bar. And uh, I had access to experimenting with what I, whatever I felt like getting my hands on. And, and also in that period, I mean, sorry, in that period, um, I was lonely and losing my parents. I started experimenting and stealing and using my bounty to um, give offerings to friends in the village. We had a den, we could drink in there and smoke in there and steal potatoes to eat. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so, yeah, that was really the start of um, the wheels coming off, off for me. And how old were you when you moved to South Africa? Um, we moved when I was 12 years old. We moved, actually I remember the date, um, we left the UK um, in October of 1981, I think it was, and we arrived on the 10th of October. And uh, in those days, my dad had already moved over. Um, we weren't really told why we were coming to South Africa. Um, but I'm sure it was uh, my dad's way of running away and starting afresh. And uh, we, I remember flying over when we arrived and seeing a city and being absolutely horrified that I had no idea this existed. And we landed and lived in a hotel and eventually moved into a house and I hated every minute. Was of, this Johannesburg? Yeah, this was Johannesburg. This journey, this thing that had been thrown our way was um, just terrible for me. Because you missed your friends back in Wales, probably? Yeah, I missed my friends. I missed life as I knew it. I missed school. I mean, I wasn't particularly partial to school, but I missed everything. Um, and I had no knowledge about where we had moved to and and what we were going to be doing here so it was a big shock another big shock in in our lives 
And how do, how long did it take for you to feel more, more comfortable and settle in? It probably took me about two and a half years. Um, but during that time, I rebelled. I rebelled. So if, if somebody had told me not to do something, um, I always had to seek out and find out why. And it gave me a kind of power. You know, I had something interesting to offer. And if I didn't have anything interesting to offer, then I was always able to get alcohol, whether it was pooling pocket money with my neighbor and buying tequila or pinching my parents' alcohol. There was always something to smooth the way. Okay. So we're getting that you were about 16, 17. When, when you left school, what happened then? Um, I ended up dropping out of school. Um, which not many people know about. I uh, matriculated in 1985, but in reality, I was nowhere near matric. And um, I moved out of home and I started my illustrious career of um, jolling and um, clubbing and just having fun. You're still quite young, like 17 we're talking about here. Very, yeah. very young. Yeah. And um, I often look back and realize how much danger I was yeah. actually in, even back in the 80s. But I was having fun. I thought I was having fun. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's often easier, isn't it, to look back and think, wow. But wow. obviously when you're living it, it's, it's a different story. Yeah, and I always... I always did things properly, and I, and I think <laughs> not half measures. Not half measures, and fast forward to life now, I realise that's also how I deal with um, my uh, addictive personality. You know, I went through a period of drug taking, which one day I stopped, yeah. and it was the same with smoking. Yeah, and then. Um, the worst thing for me to give up was the alcohol. So after hearing you on the radio, that was, again, a decision that I had to stop. At this time, I needed a little little help from Janet, a but lot it, of help. But it took quite a, a time, didn't it? I remember you telling me you heard me on the radio and then it was still, what, six, seven yeah, months? It was around eight months. And I remember that period being fraught with um, almost warning signs, you know, every couple of weeks something was happening, um, not in my life personally, well, the closest was, um, but where there were occasions where I would see bad things happening to people around me. Um, and then my daughter almost got run over um, in the car park of a local gym and this was by a young girl who we found in her car um, just at rock bottom. She had drank herself into oblivion and was trying to start her car and move. Um, and so, yeah, I finally plucked up the courage and sent Janet an email and said I didn't have an off button. And then I think for the next few months, we still battled to get onto a workshop. And finally, I got a cancellation. 
So at about 19 days, I, I managed to attend a workshop. Well, thank goodness you did. I know, <laughs> I know. I think um, just before the workshop, I'd, I'd had that tricky sort of eight-month period. And I, I'd watched my family um, sort of getting more and more distant. And I thought, you know, at some stage, I'm either going to end up in rehab or I'm going to get an ultimatum. So I'm okay to carry on as I am because that will be my stopping point when yes. either of those comes along. You were waiting for something else to, to push yeah. you into it. And, um, and I slowly realized that, that the ultimatum wasn't going to come. And that kind of shifted me into a space of being able to take ownership um, because I was watching my my husband and my kids um, slowly drift away. And on the Sunday, the 20th of August, I gave it my usual um, all and played music until the wee hours of the morning and drank copious amounts of wine and... So were you at a party that evening or on your no, own? No, I was at home. You were having I, a party for one? Yeah, party <laughs> for one and the poor kids were shouting downstairs that they couldn't sleep and uh, oh, the next morning I felt horrible and I just remember a fleeting look from my son actually of sheer disappointment and I felt awful and I announced right there and then that something had to change, that I couldn't go on like this anymore. And what was their reaction? Were they skeptical or they thankful? Were, I think it was pretty much over a few seconds there was hope, a definite flicker of hope, um, and then skepticism. Oh, have we not heard this before? Um, I'd written cards in the past, past committing to making changes that I never followed through with. And, um, and after I was also over the initial shock of my announcement, I also thought, you know, I can do this. And after 30 days, when everybody's quiet and happy that I have um, kept my word, I can go back to drinking. Okay. So you say that they were a little sceptical. Had you ever said that you were going to stop before or had you announced you were going to cut down? I remember um, I was always going to cut down, cut down, cut down, but I... I never said that I was done, that I was yeah, stopping actually, until one day, and then I was. Yeah, that's a good point. I'd never, ever said that I was going to stop. Yeah. I was always going to cut down. Yeah. And but that's what we can't do, can we? No, People like us. We can't, because I cut down from full-strength wine to um, uh, low-calorie, whatever, light wine. Uh, then you probably drank more. I did. I doubled my <laughs> intake and had worse hangovers and headaches and worse anxiety. Then I went on to drinking beer. Um, my poor husband didn't get a sniff um, <laughs> on a weekend. 
and um, and then thereafter I went on to drinking three liter box cocktails which was absolutely loaded with sugar so I was always trying but what I was trying to do was not stop yeah because we, we just can't imagine life without alcohol can we well that was it yeah. it was just it was the most unthinkable thing yeah. You know, I had a lady on the last uh, Joburg workshop and we were doing the shares and she said to me, I'm here because my doctors told me, you know, I'm in danger if I don't stop drinking. I know that I have to stop drinking. But she said, as far as I'm concerned, my life is over. My life is done. My life is finished. And she genuinely believed that. Yeah. And I felt so sorry for her. And obviously I tried to reassure her that wasn't the case. But what, what would you say to someone like that? Um, oh my word, I have to say it so often actually, um, we have this wonderful WhatsApp group, um, our members group is an absolute lifeline for me and I, I often read that exact statement that yeah. life is over and oh, all I can say is persist because actually your life is just beginning. Yeah. When you give up that crutch, that thing that has ruled your life for so long, life actually starts beginning. Yeah. And I think so many people make the mistake of uh, trying to stop and failing, trying to stop and failing, this kind of falling on and off the wagon. And all they're doing is just doing the hardest bit over, over and, over, and again. over again. And it's it's exhausting. And it's a matter of pushing through, isn't it? Those it is first few months. Through, and that's why I think it was so important um, for me to get onto that workshop. Um, at 19 days, I had done really, really well. I don't think I had ever been um, alcohol free for that length of time in my life. Um, but I was starting to, to plan my next, uh, 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 my next journey with alcohol. It was going to be a lot simpler. It, I wasn't going to drink as much. Um, and I was keeping everybody quiet. And uh, anyway, I did the workshop. And on that workshop, I committed then to taking my 30 days uh, to 100 days. And that was a game changer for me because yeah. suddenly, even when I did hit 30 days, 30 days was such a massive achievement. And there were little glimmers along the way, you know, from three days and from seven days and from two weeks that actually there is a glimmer of hope that I can actually get through this. I still didn't, I never contemplated ever giving up. I thought at the end of the 100 days, I would be able to moderate. But I got to 100 days and uh, felt a little bit unhinged, a little bit unstuck. And a fellow, fellow workshop member who I call Kay really challenged me and said, what is it you really want? And I was able to really sit back and, and analyze, and I'd come so far, why would I want to now give all of that up? You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, 
Just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So you're a member now. I am. So uh, talk to us about the benefits of membership because here you are, you're sober now. Why, why does it benefit you to still be a member? Do you still need us? I do, I do, <laughs> although I've gone very quiet. Um, I think it's very important uh, for anybody who is going or starting this journey is that there are thousands, hundreds and thousands of people going through the same nightmare that you are going through. And uh, this is my tribe. This is a yeah. non-judgmental group of people um, these are professionals, these are uh, learned people, these are moms, these are everyday people who have challenges with alcohol. And uh, we just hang together on this group. Uh, we get regular support through World Without Wine. Um, and it's not, you know, I always looked at AA as an option. Did you go to AA? I did try AA mm. and I ended up in a school hall at a school in Constantia. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my word, what am I doing here? <laughs> Making instant coffee in a styrofoam cup and just hating every moment of it. I never got to the situation when I, where I shared. Um, I just felt it was the wrong place for me. Um, yeah. I do, however, know a lot of people that uh, have lived with AA for 30, 40, mm. 50 years, and it has worked for them. Exactly. No, it's, it's helped mil millions of people. Absolutely. But like you, I went to AA, and, uh, but I, I couldn't find my tribe, you know. It, That's exactly In fact, I, I'd listened to the shares of people who'd been, you know, drinking whiskey when they woke up and they'd lost mm. everything, and I wasn't quite there yet, Absolutely. you know. I was on my way there. Yeah. But I, I somehow felt I was better than them, you know. I wasn't. Yeah, I, my problem absolutely. wasn't like their problem. And so it didn't help because I... It just—it was all sort of very dark and yeah. undercover. You know, you parked your car. And there was a lot of shame, street. wasn't there? That—that's probably the best word yes. to, to to describe it. There was a lot of shame, and I think that's another thing with the with my tribe. I realise with the changes that I've made in my life, it just helps other people, mm. and those other people on the group still help me. And then the people that are around me who are not in my tribe are also managing to make subtle changes. Um, so it's a platform that actually allows me to express myself and yeah. be open. Yeah. And, and also that allows me to express myself and be open in my everyday life. Yeah, great. And well, what are the best things that have happened to you since you stopped drinking? I always say that it took me 50 years to grow up <laughs> and it's exactly that. I mean, my husband is very fond of saying that I only started growing up in my 40s. I mean, he's a bit younger than you, but he's much more grown up, oh, isn't he? Oh, he's much more grown up. <laughs> he is 13 years my junior. But He's the adult in the he's relationship. He's the adult, <laughs> although I'm catching up, actually. <laughs> you are. 
And um, so I have now the opportunity to get to know who I am because since I was 10, I have dulled my senses yeah. with alcohol. Yeah. I have no idea. I had no idea that I have capabilities beyond my wildest dreams. Absolutely. I've always thought I was um, a little simple, a little unintelligent. Oh, but actually, it? I'm very intelligent. <laughs> you are, indeed. So that has been groundbreaking. And, oh, my word, it's been amazing to really reconnect with my kids and, and be an example. And I, I run and I get out doors and I suppose another way of putting it is you know I spent my life wanting to die and I was continuously suicidal I thought that that was normal and now I can't get enough of life and I'm so scared that I do actually end up dying through some freak accident <laughs> or aneurysm or whatever yes, because you love your life so much because I love my it's life beautiful. so much yeah, um, yeah. And the, I mean, there were times when I was on the journey thinking, oh, why can't I be that person yeah. who can have one glass of champagne? I'm not. One sip for me is too many. Yeah. And there are plenty of reasons why I don't drink anymore. And I think once we accept that we can't be like other people, we mm. can't just have one glass of wine or two glasses of wine. It has to be at least six with us. Absolutely. And once we accept that and we've got the, we accept the fact that we've got no off switch, then the, there's a kind of relief to it, isn't there? It, it, you know, it it's just, is. I can't do that. It is a huge relief, and that's another big impact on my life, is I, the time that I have discovered I have um, is just incredible, because it wasn't just... I. I I wasn't just uh, spending time on drinking and recovering from a hangover and only waking up at Hobbes 10 on a weekend um, and missing school runs. It was the time around planning drinking. Yeah. I was always up for a party, but then I had to plan, okay, we were going to Diane's house and... I had to know where the bottle stores were and I would phone ahead and make sure they were open um, until a certain time so I could plan buying a bottle of wine to bring home either before we went to a braai or after a braai. So there was this constant, uh, constant uh, exhaustion around making sure I had alcohol to drink. Yeah. And once I dropped that, I... I was free. I, yeah. I have this yeah. freedom to to just be and just live and yeah. fill my cup so that I can be there for my family. Yeah, it is. It's a, a complete freedom. And I love what you said about um, that you, you've been discovering yourself. You know, it's, as you're, you're getting older, you're discovering who you are, what you can do, and what you really love to do. We have to discover what gives us a natural high. Yeah, absolutely. We? I mean, I remember being anxious all the time. You know, being a passenger in a car, I was anxious. Um, you would never get me up the mountain because, A, I was anxious about... Uh, 
oh, am I going to get onto heights? Am I going to make it up there? And B, I was anxious that I was going to make it down in time for the bottle store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, we drink because we're anxious. We want to numb the anxiety. But in fact, it's the worst thing we can do, isn't it? It's Alcohol adding... is a depressant. Oh. It uh, makes us anxious. I love that meme that says... Um, Drinking alcohol is like pouring gasoline on your anxiety. Absolutely, absolutely. And I never put that connection together. I just thought that I was anxious. And that was one of the first things to disappear. Yeah. Last question for you, Jane. Um, there'll be people listening to this that are probably very early on in their journey. What, what tips would you give them? What recommendations? loopholes are dangerous because there will always be a birthday there will yeah. always be a tea there will always be the girls book club the girls lunch the drinks after the race so close the loopholes those are your excuses to drink again yeah and we have to learn the skills to to do all those things sober and eventually we'll we'll manage to enjoy them even more than we did when we were drinking yeah. our way through them i would also say celebrate all of your achievements yeah, yeah. this is a big journey and a big test of your strength and it's a superpower yeah so every opportunity for a celebration just to say you know I did three days, I did seven days, I did a month, I did 15 days, I did 19 days. <laughs> Celebrate it yeah. and, yeah, okay. salute yourself. So let's, let's end by agreeing that sobriety is a superpower. S yeah, sobriety <laughs> is a superpower. This is when I've got goosebumps. <laughs> um, I look back on my tracker and I am somewhere around the 4,500 drinks that I have not consumed <laughs> since the 21st of August 2017 and I often wonder what I'd be yeah. right now and whether I would actually be still alive. Yeah okay well well done Jane and thank you so much for being such a influential member of our tribe. You've Fantastic. inspired so many people through the workshops. Thank you Jane that was so inspiring. So let's round off this episode with some key points from my conversation with Jane. The first thing I'd say is that Jane knew that she needed to stop, but she just needed a push and she needed to find her tribe. It's very difficult for most people to make such a big change alone. They need to connect with others on the same path. The second thing that sticks out for me from that conversation is that Jane's realisation that, that she didn't have an off button. Once you accept that, things kind of get easier. Many people don't have an off switch and they'll never be able to cut down. I see it over and over again in our community. People are six months over, maybe one year sober, and they think, okay, I'm going to a wedding now. I'm going to have a glass of champagne. And what usually happens is that works out fine. They have their glass of champagne. But then three weeks, four weeks later, they get in touch with me, they say it's all gone pear-shaped, I'm now back to drinking what I was drinking before. So really, once you've crossed a line with your drinking, you can't go back, you need to ditch the stuff. You'll never be able to cut down. And then the, the last point uh, that I'd like to mention from our conversation is that 
Jane woke up on a Monday morning, didn't she, and realised that she was done with alcohol. She wasn't doing this anymore. Now, that happened to me as well, and mine was also a Monday morning. <laughs> what is it about Monday mornings? And often the workshop shares at the beginning, people say, I'm done with alcohol, and you can pick up the kind of weariness in their voice. And for those people, I, I know that they'll, they'll manage, they'll succeed. Because it's a kind of rock bottom for some of us. For some of us, it's a necessary step. We have to get to that place where we realise that we can't go on. And there is still time to pull back, so we must. So three, three tips for you there. Let me just reiterate them very quickly. Tip number one, changing your relationship with alcohol is very hard to do alone. You need to find your tribe. If you haven't got an off switch and can't stop at one glass of wine, then accept that. In fact, it's so much easier to ditch the drink entirely than to cut down. And lastly, if you have, a, have the feeling that you're, you're done with alcohol, then that's actually a good sign. Embrace it, because it's a sign that you're ready to change your life. So that brings me to the end of this episode. If you've enjoyed it, please give us a review and hit that subscribe button. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.